You're listening to Orms Air, the Orms podcast, an open space where we discuss everything photographic and invite you to step inside our world of photography. For over 20 years, Orms has been the creative's go-to for all things photographic. From the best gear to breathtaking display options, visit ormsdirect.co.za for everything you need. Let's get chatting with Dion Yubab and Rachel Reeves. Hello, fellow creative humans, and welcome to Orms Air, the Orms podcast. If you've joined our wonderful host, Rachel Reeves, in conversation before, you might recognize my voice. But for those who don't, my name is Jess Semple, and I am the producer of Orms Air. During these recordings, you can typically find me sitting around the table with Rachel and our guests, wearing a really big pair of monitoring headphones and attempting, sometimes unsuccessfully, to hold in my laughter. Rachel is currently taking some well-deserved leave, so she asked me to host an episode of Orms Air in her absence. Now that that explanation is out of the way, I'm delighted to introduce this episode's guest. Today we are chatting with professional colorist Francesca Fabecken about her personal creative journey and the fascinating craft of color grading a vital part of the post-production process that the average person probably doesn't know exists. Fran, welcome to Orms Air and thank you so much for joining us in conversation. Hi Jess, thank you so much for having me. It's such a, an honor. Oh, it's very, very exciting. I'm, um, as some of the listeners may or may not know, I sometimes freelance in like a junior colorist capacity. So I'm, I'm very excited to pick your brains and see what you have to say about this this fascinating branch of post-production. Absolutely. Feel free. I'm an, <laughs> I'm an open book. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, okay. So I feel like we should get on to the first question. And I feel like this one needs a bit of a scene setting. <laughs> so picture this. You're in a situation where you're meeting a bunch of new people. Yes. Invariably, it gets to that point in the conversation where somebody turns to you and says, so Fran, what do you do? <laughs> and uh, obviously what I, what I mean by that is I want to know how you explain your profession to non-industry individuals. You, you know, I had a good, uh, a good giggle when you, you, know, you asked me the question because <laughs> the, the most responses that I get when I tell them that I'm a digital colorist is, mm. oh, cool, so you color hair. <laughs> and I'm like, uh... I can, and <laughs> I do and I can with, with my box of digital crayons. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is such a rare and uncommon um, profession mm. that, you know, a lot of people are not acquainted with. Yeah. So, and, and it's so cool to, to explain it to them, especially being a female digital colorist, mm. you know, it sounds so, so kick-ass. Yeah. So basically what a digital colorist is, is, you know, we we play a very powerful part in the editing or well, in the finishing process mm. where once the edit has been approved, we sit with the director or, or mm. a DOP and we bring their vision to life by enhancing and manipulating yeah. color, contrast, hue. We set, we basically set a tone and a feeling and emotion mm. to film and, and, and TV commercials yeah. or music videos. And that's often followed by before and after pictures. Yeah. You know, because then people actually see it like, oh, cool, this is mm. really cool what you do. Mm. Um, so, yeah. It's a very, very it's... thorough explanation. Generally, like when I try to explain it to people, <laughs> it's always one of those situations where I'm in a hurry or they don't want to hear the whole explanation. And so I found the worst, like, possible, like, one line explanation, <laughs> which is like, it's Photoshop for video. Yeah, or, or <laughs> which yeah, is absolutely fairly well, inaccurate description, but the closest thing I can think of to like 
digital manipulation of an image, mm. except it's video, so it's not really Photoshop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that basically sums it up. It's like Photoshop, but for mm. moving content. Yeah. You know, um, I think a lot of people understand mm. uh, Photoshop and they know that, you know, beautiful images are produced yeah. when, you, when you know how to work Photoshop. And, yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, that that's, I usually just sit and tell them what I do and then they go, oh, cool. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> the before and afters is probably, I'm going to get sidetracked on this, but it is possibly the most fun part when you're working with a Absolutely. client because they'll come in and they'll like look at the screen and be like okay so what have you been doing now and you just click <laughs> click it or click bypass yeah I click, <laughs> click bypass and, then you, and they're like oh, oh no my way. goodness no way <laughs> wow look at that really made it pop so punchy <laughs> just by like a little click of a button yeah, no that's... no it's more than just a click of a button <laughs> maybe a click of a button and a few twisting of a few dials there we go <laughs> moving some balls around <laughs> so my next question i want to know how you discovered that color grading exists because it's so weird for me i can remember the exact day i actually have the date <laughs> um just because i um I was getting into videography like around early 2017 and um, I'd shot this little video of my friends wandering around Seapoint Promenade and I was so proud of this footage but I was like I want to make it look better. So I remember being in Final Cut Pro 10 and googling something like how to make footage more cinematic and then I was like all these videos were like you know there's this thing called color grading and you can do this to the shadows and the highlights and the color and it'll look amazing and you'll love it and I've been obsessed ever since then just I, I think I slapped this like crazy overly saturated <laughs> pink and blue grade on everything the skin tones were like indistinguishable from like the sky but I loved it <laughs> um, like bit you yeah pretty much so, yeah. yeah so tell me like how did you get into this yeah I, I broke into the creative field um by studying industrial design I did that for mm. three years okay and I felt that I needed more of a creative mm. much more of a stronger challenge yeah and that's when I was introduced by producer and my uncle Ermia mm. Posteli mm. um into color grading okay. he had a color grading boutique yeah um called 744 digital okay and that's when I started. Mm. Um, you could say that I come from a family of digital colorists. Yeah. So I have two colorists, uh, two cousins who are colorists. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Apostoli and yeah. Craig Simonetti. Mm. With, they've got so m many years of experience mm. under the belt. And I'm not just saying this because I'm their cousin. Yeah. But if you look at their, if I look at their work mm. um, and their style, you know, I, and I mean, they're incredibly talented and very highly respected. Mm. And when I first walked into a grading suite yeah. and I saw the colorist sitting behind these panels, mm. which to me, I thought, this is incredible. Yeah. It looks like one of these flight simulations. That you get. It's like a spaceship. spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> and just seeing how they took a flat and unflattering image mm. and created this beautiful, yeah. crisp image and I thought mm. to myself this is incredible I mean I had no experience I walked mm. in so, totally naive yeah it, not, with no knowledge mm. of the film industry at all yeah and I soon found myself in the deep end sure and I just 
you know, that's when you just take the bull by the horns mm. and you give it a go. And I did my first grade six months down the line when I first started mm. with a colorist next to me, with sure. a, a very highly acclaimed director. Mm. And that's when the bike bit me. Yeah. And I loved every minute of it. It's that adrenaline. It's, mm. you know, you're so focused. It's challenging. Yeah. And you have so much room to play with. Yeah. And it, and that's when I thought, found my challenge. Yes. I found, I found my passion in oh, life. Oh, that is amazing. So, yeah, that's no, it, how it all started. <laughs> that is so crazy because I was expecting, obviously, like we have like maybe these... Like, we develop a backstory for a person before we meet them. And I thought, okay, no, probably, like, professional colorist definitely maybe went to after and studied for three years. But it's, I feel like the more I meet other colorists, I've met a couple. Um, Donovan Bush. He's incredible. Yo, he's amazing. Incredible. I My was, like, privileged enough to have, like, four lessons under him last year. Um, so for our listeners who aren't familiar with his work, Donovan Bush was the colorist, from what I remember, who did the dailies for The Crown, Black Sails, Outlander, yes. and Marco Polo. Yes. So yeah, working with him and under him and having the very few very privileged email exchanges that I had with him literally blew my mind. Like just life-changing, honestly. Absolutely. Um, but I remember when the couple of times I've emailed him and chatted to him and been like, like, how can I improve? What more can I do? He's like, no, a lot of it is like mentorship. Like you work under a yes. more senior colorist. And that's generally like until very recently, at least that's been the main way that people can learn it. Absolutely. I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. No, there really is like no substitute. And I think, I wonder if I was going to, yeah, this, okay. Yeah, that, that's mm. kind of like how I was going to go straight into the next point. Yeah. <laughs> so super interesting that that flowed so naturally. I've listened to a lot of colorist podcasts yes. and stuff, and they all talk about how the mentorship is so important. You learn from more senior colorists. Um, and I think until very recently, that was the main way that you could learn. But now there's been all these things cropping up online, at least when I've done a bit of research. Um, there's uh, paid resources like the uh, the International Colorist Academy. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Low Post and Mixing Lights, which are like subscription for, for the listeners who don't know, they're subscription-based educational platforms. Uh, mixing Light, I think, I think it was Mixing Light, and I really want to get a subscription for this, but I think there was, <laughs> I think the, the colorist for Peaky Blinders did like a live screen recording of him grading an episode, and I was like, oh my gosh. That's incredible. Oh, I, I love, I love see listening that. to that. I love watching them. Yeah, they? yeah it's super cool. So, um, yeah, so, so the next question is, uh, were there any paid or free resources that you found helpful during your initial education in color grading and then later on early in your career? When I first started mm. color grading, I've been color grading for the past six, seven years already. Yeah. And when I first started, that's when Resolve mm. just came into play, yeah. started making waves. Mm. And, and that's how I learned on the full DaVinci Resolve grading suite panels. Yeah. And, you know, color grading, it's its always, it's ever evolving, mm. it's ever changing, it's ever growing. And when you see what goes into making up a color grading suite, it yeah. is so, the costs are immense. It's yeah. expensive. So expensive. You've got to, you know, paint it a certain mm. shade of gray, mm. um, lighting and mm broadcast monitors yeah. so all this hardware and software that becomes available mm. 
you know, it's it. You've got it all there. Yeah. And that's your. That's where you start. Mm. That's where you start. Mm. Um, I, you know, for those who are also interested in in starting color grading yeah. I and mean, taking color grading courses, mm. it's it's crucial. I would yeah. strongly recommend it. Mm. And also, my my favorite, um, a person that I love to refer to was Alexis van Herkman. Yes. Who you know, I mean, he dove into editing and grading mm. and online yeah. and you learn so much and that's when I learned because I didn't come from a you know didn't mm. go to after or mm. any film school yeah and that's when I started researching like okay you mentioned mm. about these cameras let's google yes I promise you I had notes and books and <laughs> recordings and sketches mm. and you know that that's how I just dove right in there mm. and but the most important way of learning anything yeah. is literally physically sitting there with mm. the colorist yeah with a professional colorist yeah because you also you soak up the environment around you you mm. embrace envi environment mm. and you you pick up and you learn a lot of things how you you know talk to your clients yes. and um sometimes you, you're handled with issues that you know you have to think on your feet you mm. have to be quick you have to problem solve yeah and you've got such a tight deadline and you really need to you know yeah you have to deliver you have to deliver that's a massive thing like all the grading with the exception of one all the grading jobs i've done it's like last day they bring mm. you in and then they're like this goes out tomorrow and Absolutely. i'll be like so how much time do i have and they're like yeah you got like nine hours basically <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i'm like okay cool <laughs> But yeah, I mean, try and read as much literature mm. as much as possible and, you know, take up the courses and, yeah. and you know, if you contact colorists that mm. are near you and ask them, you know, can I sit with you at the next session? Yeah. Um, you learn this level of confidence yes. that you have to perfect. Yeah. And it's, it's quite an art, especially when you've got like five or six clients sitting Yo. behind you watching your every move. Um, you know, how you control and how you handle your environment. Mm. Um, and, you know, you've got the technical aspects, you've yeah. got the creative aspects. And, yeah, it's it's huge. Mm. I mean, I can, yeah, color grading. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned literature. Uh, just offhand question. I mean, are there any, were there books and things that you read in specific, like specifically, or was it mainly like online publications? Mainly, mainly online publications yeah. and, you know, whatever articles that mm. I could find. Yeah. Um, Alexis van Herkman was mm. my favorite. Warren Eagles yes. as well. Yeah, he has yes. a podcast, right? Yes, yeah, yes, he, he does. does. I can't, I must actually, I will reference it in the show notes, guys. I will go and do the research <laughs> and I, I'm subscribed to it somewhere. It's in one of like the four pod, like colorist podcasts that I listen to. Also, an amazing podcast to listen to and I'm subscribed to that is mm -hmm. coloristpodcast.com. Yes. And it's incredible because there are so many colorists from around the world mm. that have these different topics of conversation yeah. about technical and creative and mm. new updated technology and it is so important to be yes. on the trends, yeah. you know, upcoming trends. Mm. And they also speak about, um, you know, things that happen when you go home, yeah. when you finish a grade, mm. just keeping that mental mm. health alive, sure. which is so important. That is very, very true. Yeah. 
some other online resources that I found helpful, actually. Uh, there is a great seminar on YouTube. You might have seen it by a colorist called Robbie Carmen. Yes. That he did that, that one before. for Adobe. Yes. Um, and it's, uh, guys, for anyone who wants to listen to that, I highly recommend it. No, Please it is do, yeah. so, so good. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about his some of the stuff that he brought up and that I'll, I'll mention later on. But sure. yeah, life-changing stuff, guys. Transitioning on to what it's like to be a colorist. And I remember that when I was kind of discovering that this was an actual career, like something that people did as a yes. job, that I had a lot of misconceptions kind of about what the day-to-day -day of that sort of position entailed mm. um, and I think there's probably a lot of other people out there who think maybe colorists just sit in a dark room all day <laughs> twisting knobs and dials turning <laughs> rings and and that is that's what they do <laughs> so that kind of leads me on to the next question uh, and that is in your opinion as a professional colorist who does this on the day-to-day -day, ah. <laughs> <laughs> what are some unexpected skills that a colorist should have I'm going to uh take reference from a recent experience of, of mine lately. Sure. Um, we've just recently finished a beautiful documentary. Mm. Um, because of the nature of the project and mm. because there were still edit changes and we had to mm. get, wait for footage and get permission for footage, yeah. um, while we were still going in the color grading process and we had a set amount of time, yeah. I had to take on that role of controlling from mm. conform grade yeah. VFX finish yeah. to adding subtitles and to mastering, to adding yeah. the audio once we received it from the mm. composers and mastering that file. Which, you know, in my experience, whenever mm. I receive, traditionally it's you get something from the editor. Yes. You know, link it to the raw files. Yes. You grade from there and then you export and hand it over to your online artist and they mm. take it from there. Mm. So this was an incredible experience and a yeah. learning curve and it helped to work with a fantastic team and I mm. mean the guys at Priest were incredible from yeah. producers uh, Michelle and Cal mm. to the whole team yeah um, who helped us along the way and you know we, that's when we had I learned how to be extremely disciplined you mm. have to keep your workflow extremely disciplined and yeah. you learn you know when you work you have to work closely with your team. Mm. Um, I mean, you should have seen this. <laughs> it was creating pipelines on the server, color coding, labeling oh, shots gosh. from this number to that number. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from grade, from VFX. Mm. So, you know, you don't cross because you can easily mess up a project yeah. by doing that. It was, yeah. a, it was a risk, but it, was, it ended up being such a huge success and mm. the, the workflow that we did. Um, so that for me, yeah. being a colorist and mm. taking on that role was mm. incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I'm mostly used to working, like you said, yeah. in a dark room. Yes. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's our bat cave. Yes. <laughs> the bat cave. It's our bat cave. Um, <laughs> and, and you work there, you know, for hours just yeah. honing and finessing mm. and making beautiful pictures. Yeah. And yeah for me for me that was something that i didn't expect mm. and it, it helps to have a sound knowledge of your editing system yes um and a little bit of you know your online mm. and the language mm. um i mean sure i learned 
I mean, I mean subtitles that, that I never knew before was open yeah. and closed caption subtitles. Yeah. You know, in Resolve, mm. especially when you doing DCP work. Yes. And that's a whole new yeah. exciting realm on its own. Yeah. Um so yeah. It's actually so interesting that you're saying this. Um I did a, a course that I'd booked myself into from last year already. It was one of the resolve short courses that they have over at the CTSP school. It was yeah. like their advanced grading, advanced editing sort of course, but it's very like tools technique sort of based yeah. rather than more theory. Um, but the lecturer, uh, I think it, I believe it's Lynn Brennan. I'll double fact check that. But she often, she freelances as an editor out of post and she's like a certified resolve trainer. And she was saying exactly what you were saying. She says so many uh, students are coming up to her and being like, I want to be a colorist, but I just want to do color. And she's like, no, you need no, to know how to edit absolutely. as well. You need to be familiar with that suite because there's going to be situations like this or even just dealing with XML issues you're going to have to know how to do things. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the editor's going to be like, oh, I don't have the time. Can you just like wiggle the shot like two frames to the right? And you've got to know yeah. how to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be extremely flexible mm. um, and, and, and fluent in yeah. at least your editing system. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, with DaVinci Resolve introducing Fusion. Yeah, that's massive. That is, I mean, I've just briefly touched on it yeah. and I'd like to explore that even more 100% um, but it is incredible yeah. it's exciting it's like my <laughs> no really it is so cool and honestly what and I am a bit of a bit of a black magic fan girl gonna be yes. straight up straight up about that but honestly like what they're doing in the industry is is revolutionary in terms of what they're offering for free with the software and and now like the advancements that they've made with the black pocket cinema 4k camera and their raw compression modes oh my gosh i could go on forever about it and it's so great that they're making it accessible to yes. you know on public forums 100 percent. and you know all these new little packages and black packages it's yeah. incredible <laughs> no, it's so amazing and and fusion like you said like that is my next yes. my next big step is i know like a pretty pretty like solid on my editing i'm getting there with the color getting there with the sound <laughs> slowly but surely but like motion graphics that's going to be like my next massive step absolutely into Don't. this yeah absolutely, like it yeah. has to happen like being multi-skilled these days in this industry it's it's essential absolutely yeah. i 100 agree with you and you learn you learn something new every day yes i learn something new every day i mean I've been, <laughs> you know i'm not as as great as as you know donovan bush and nick apostoli and craig simonetti and, <laughs> and michelle wilson i mean mm. she's incredible i mm. had such a pleasure of shaking hands with her and i thought yeah oh, i'm actually shaking hands <laughs> with me michelle wilson that i've heard so much about yeah. and you know they they are my inspiration mm. it's it's just incredible oh that's so amazing so, yeah oh. <laughs> i want to know when you started referring to yourself in a professional capacity as a colorist and i'm asking this because even now and i haven't been grading for nearly as long as six or seven years but say working being paid to do jobs professionally working with production companies say for about maybe 12 months mm. and i still hesitate to use the title in regard to myself because i'm like I don't know. I don't want to like create an expectation of a skill <laughs> level that I may or may not have or and then like maybe contribute to like diluting the term and being like, 
yeah, it's like a whole big thing. So I always like, I'm a junior colorist. <laughs> but when did you start referring to yourself in that capacity? Well, actually, a few years ago, I mm. did I did my first, okay, I mean, after a year and a bit, you know, after doing freebies, yeah. and, 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 and I loved working on freebies because mm. then you got room to, yes. even if you make a boo-boo, yeah. you know, you, you yeah. learn, yes. you learn as you go. Mm. Um, I got given the wonderful opportunity to work with a, a highly inter acclaimed international director, mm. and we did a television commercial. Mm. And he sat with me and we got a look going. Yeah. And then he left and he said, okay, now you know exactly what I want. Mm. I want to see what you can do. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh my word, here we go. <laughs> here we go. And he left and I did the grade and we sent stills and, mm. a, and you know, an exported yeah. um, ex render. And while I was waiting, I actually came here to Orms yeah. to print a, a, a book that I had made for mm. my grand's 80th. Yeah. And I was waiting for the, my producer, Michelle's phone call. Mm. And when she phoned, she's like, Fran, he loved it. He oh. loved the grade. He, lo he loved everything about it. Export, get yeah. it out there. Oh, amazing. And for me, that was something yeah. because I'd worked so hard and mm. I felt like I'd accomplished. Yes. And... And I guess that's when I've, I've mm. had that confidence of yeah. saying, no, it, this is what I do. This yes. is what I strove to do in the first place. This yeah. is, I worked hard to accomplish, especially mm. being female and all in this yes. industry. And, and yeah. I really want to push those boundaries and yeah. push those doors. Mm. And when I heard that, yeah. I just, like, I think I almost broke into tears. Outside. Oh. <laughs> oh, so I was like, this is incredible. It means oh. so much to me. And that's when... I started, you know, because yeah. the, then you start handling and working with bigger mm. films and uh, commercials and music yeah. videos. And it's really nice when you get clients um, who just give you the creative freedom and the rain mm. and they go, you know what, I actually, actually don't know what I'm looking for. Yeah. Show me what you got. Yes. Or what ideas do you have? Mm. And then you pitch them and they love mm. them. Mm. Or, you know, and then we just end up tweaking and enhancing. Mm. So, yeah. That's, that's so the, cool. Such a lovely story. That's how it all started. It's great. <laughs> You've got like this moment to like pin it to, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. That's and I'll remember special. it for, for forever. But you know, I mean that was a thing. It's like when when did I start calling myself yeah. a colorist? And then I asked myself the question, when yeah. did you actually get that moment of mm. something that I was so proud of? Yeah. You know? That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> a fun light hearted question. <laughs> um, I want to know, do you have any pet peeves as a colorist? So, and t t for our listeners to, to kind of illustrate what I'm, what I'm talking about here, I'm going <laughs> to tell a little quick story. Um, so I once graded this really beautiful uh, advertisement um, and it kind of, this piece centered around this really beautiful relationship between a mother and her son and, you know, you, you start hearing like the producer describing this to you and you you're like waiting for your references and you think, you know what, I, I can picture what this is going to be like in my head. It's heartwarming, you know, golden tones, all of that sort of thing. <laughs> and then I got the I got the reference images and they sent me uh, shots from No Country for Old Men. 
<laughs> which for those for our listeners dear listeners who don't know this is a film by the cohen brothers if i remember correctly and it's centered around drugs and murder and a hitman and i just was like what 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 is this <laughs> so i think for me that's that's probably probably mine is like these out there references where i'm like um okay <laughs> so so yeah what about you <laughs> Where do I even begin, Jess? <laughs> Where do I even begin? One of them is, you know, especially when you're working on a big long form project yes. and you get a very messy project. I, am, I consider myself to be a perfectionist mm. and I like to be very organized. Yeah. And, you know, when you get footage that's all over the show that's not properly labeled or mm. your XML doesn't conform properly, either, you know, the, the shots in the edit have been renamed yeah. or the time code has been changed when transcoding happens. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, it's all things that you work around yes. and it's, there's a solution to every problem. 100%. Um, but that is one of my pet peeves. Definitely. And I think it's one of the biggest ones that I have. Yeah. Um, the other one... <laughs> now you've opened up an entire can no, of worms, No, please, full, um, <laughs> In the world of today, we totally understand budget constraints. 100%. You know, with tight budgets and, and, you know, doing free work. Yeah. There are clients that mean the world to me and mm. I've bonded, I've got such a special relationship with them. Yeah. And even when they bring me free work, I know that they've like taken a second bond out of their house. Yeah. Just to get their beautiful project out and mm. I will mm. do it out of my own heart. Yeah. To help them get, get this going. Yes. Um, you know, and, and they come and they're on time mm -hmm. and we work together and it's a beautiful project. But when you get clients who mm -hmm. only come to you for a free job, yes, you know, they attend late. It's, it's, it's happened to me. So yeah. I'm talking out of experience where you really don't mind, you know, helping you out. I mean, I mm. always maintain a good work ethic, whether it's yes. a free job or a paying job you treat it the same. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it, it's what makes you as a person. Yes. And your name's on there. And 100%. you're representing yourself and, you you know, the people you work with. Yeah. But if you've got a client who's, pay, who's not even paying, who mm. comes in late. Yeah. And then, you know, you end up pushing your other work aside. Yeah. Because it's a tight deadline mm. and they need to get it out. And then they come with a promise that the next paying job, they'll come to you. Yes. But then when down the line, you hear of a really beautiful production or, or another job that's yes. happened, you go, oh, that's amazing. You know, mm. who did it? And they, mm. they did it. And, but there was a really good budget and they've mm. taken it to somewhere else. Yeah. I find that, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to be honest, um, I find that offensive. Yeah. You know, but it is. And it's, and it's just respectful. Yeah. You know? um, but yeah. I think, I think I'm, we, we opened the can of worms and then now we're going to close it. We can close it. We can close but, it um, with, with uh, <laughs> the, other, the other fun one is, and, and obviously this is, ooh, that's such a loud motorbike. I know. I could just whoosh, hear it go past. Um, and this is obviously indicative of where I am in my career as a colorist. <laughs> but when you, when you have a client who gives you 720p 8-bit GoPro footage and they're like, can you do whatever you want, but also make it look like Transformers? No. Oh. It's like, yes, I can. 
But no. But no. <laughs> but yeah. no. No. We can put glitter in it and it still won't look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, though, there are lots of fun and amazing positive things mm. about the job. But but sometimes it's, it's nice to complain just a little bit, I yeah. think. Particularly, like... I often don't, I don't often get to talk to people who are in my industry and people are like, I'll be ranting to my husband about a certain thing that happened. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but okay. (laughs) I understand you and I hear you, but what? Absolutely. Yeah. And it it makes us more human. It's natural. And when you, when you can relate to something like that in our industry, you go, I'm not alone. This is so great. This is Ormsair, and I'm your host, Rachel Reeves. Don't forget that subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite listening app is the quickest and easiest way to give us a long-distance high-five and to let us know that you enjoy hanging out in our creative space. That sort of train of thought brings me on to another question. Um, do you find that you often have to educate your clients during the post-production process? Um, and if so, like, how do you kind of navigate that balance between being accommodating to what they're looking for, mm. but at the same time being like straight up, um, no, what you're proposing is like, A, totally impossible with what you've given me, or, <laughs> you know, um, it's going to be completely wrong for the story from like my perspective as a professional in this industry, or it's just going to look straight up bad. Mm. Like, Absolutely. yeah. Well, um, you know, I think I think this is also where a really good broadcast monitor comes yeah. into play and helps you, mm. you know, make your statement even even more. Yeah. Um, you know, it's w- w- when clients send references and yeah. they go, you know, I'd like it to go into this mm. world, or and, and they bring you the footage. And um, most of the time, I've been lucky enough to work with very beautiful yeah. pictures and and images that have been shot with beautiful lighting because mm. let's face it lighting changes 100%. all the time yeah you, you this it's something that you cannot control and you know with your references you're okay well you want to take it into this realm yeah let let's go there let's mm. see how it looks yeah. play it out with the whole the whole sequence mm. and you know if it's not going to work and i'll tell them but then you know show them the examples yes um you know it, I also believe it's no point pushing pushing a color or pushing it into a world where it yes. hasn't been shot like that. Yeah. Where, you know, it's not that big, where the colors are not there. Mm. Um, you know, like, you know, if, if you've shot something really, really, really warm. Yes. You know, that warm tungsten lighting mm. and mm. yellow and, you know, bright mm. colors. And, mm. and then, but now they want to go so very cold and yeah. very moody just by taking that you know especially if the, if it's not shot in log yes and you don't have enough latitude mm. and you try to push it you yeah. know you're pushing something that that you can't go there mm. then you start introducing problems like noise grain and your artifacting um, things artifacting just and all apart, of that and yeah. breaking apart mm. um you know but you as a as a professional colorist you know you have to be confident in front yes. of your clients. And when your client also feels that you're confident, you know what you're talking about, yeah. they trust you. Yeah. You know, you're also, you're building an environment of trust mm. and, um, you know, I mean, and, and you work with your client yeah. through it all. 
But yeah, I mean, there, I have met up with some clients that have asked me, you know, how can I communicate this to you? Oh, that's nice. Um, which yeah. is really nice. Yeah. And I often tell them, well, you know, tell me the feeling that I'm supposed to create. Mm. You know, send me scripts, send me references. Yeah. Um, but but more of a feeling. Yes. And 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 then we take it from there. Mm. You know, and it helps them. Yeah. I, I find that it definitely helps uh, clients mm. who don't know how to communicate what yeah. they want by doing that. Or I just tell them, okay, well, let me let me do a little. Yeah. Let me grade a little bit. Let mm. me do some tests and yeah. and let's experiment and let's have fun. Mm. Um, that that's what it should be. It should all be about having fun. That's so true. It's actually such a beautiful way of um of working. I think rather than like the most complicated grades that I've had has always been ones where the director's like more of this in the mid tones, more of this in the shadows. It's very like clinical. Um, and that can sometimes be helpful because it is very specific. But I think working from a feeling, because that is at the end of the day, like we're Absolutely. not we're not necessarily grading for like the industry professional. We're grading for the viewer who's watching. Yeah. And we don't want to take them out of the world and we want to like keep them in that emotion. So if that's like your starting point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a really wonderful way, like a like a process. Following. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you also find yourself in a position mm. where, um, a director will want you to go in one direction and your yeah. client will want you to go into another direction. Yes. And, you know, that's when you need to compromise and you can go, yeah. okay, well, let's combine the two and yeah. this is what we can do and, and actually looks, you know, look beautiful at the end of the day. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's there's always a way around. Mm. As long as you're open and you communicate yeah. and you've got that nice relationship going on, mm. it makes it helps. easier. Yeah. 100%, 100%. I want to talk a little bit about LUTs. Uh, yes. Yes. So um, as I'm sure our listeners may know, uh, in recent years, there's been a growth in the number of content creators kind of selling LUT packs and presets to their yeah. audience who, you know, want to create similar looks for their own video content. Yes. And I'd like to kind of discuss that and, and see what you think. Do you feel that the proliferation of LUTs has brought more awareness to the profession of color grading or has it maybe caused like the general video consumer to further disregard the importance of proper color grading? Oh my, um, you know, LUTs are such an integral part of color grading. Yeah. We use them every single day. Yeah. And I mean, a dit would use them on set, yes. sitting with the director, the director has to mm. fly overseas and can't sit yeah. You know, with the colors, at least it's created a look mm. to where the colors needs to go. Yes. Um, so they are extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day, it was all about mm. color correction and yeah. balancing and making sure each shot looks looks great and yeah. it's consistent. Mm. Um, and, you know, with new technology and, yeah. and color grading evolving again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I love working with LUTs, mm. but you also need to know when and how to use a LUT. 100%. A LUT should be um, used as an adjustment layer. Yeah. And, you know, it's you always work from the flattest image possible. 100%. You yeah. know, basic 101 color grading. Mm. The flatter, the better. Yeah. Um, more latitude. You, you gain more latitude. And then you can add, you know, you can start with a LUT and you yeah. can 
end with a light. Mm. Um, and there's so many beautiful ones to work with. Yeah. So I definitely feel that it creates more awareness into you know the color grading yeah. um, field. Yeah. If, if we can call it that. Yeah, field yeah. of color grading. Yeah, yeah. The field of color grading. Mm. Also, a very important yeah. um, uh, discussion about lights yeah. is you know when when your editor is busy working with something and it's mm. still offline, yeah. and when you transcode footage, it helps to put a light because mm. you know otherwise your client is going to freak out to the director. Why is my footage looking yes. like this? And yes. you know, so it's always nice to work. Mm. It, it just helps with the process, and it doesn't yeah. make the image look. Flat yeah, and flat yellow and, and green. <laughs> yeah, green and boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I think they are so useful, mm. particularly like, obviously, like your technical lights. Yes, yeah, 100% for your conversion, quick conversion, you know, from log to rec 709 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I often encountered, and I think this was maybe just the the particular like niche field of videography that I was in, where it was very, um, you know, very corporate, just uh, like we weren't doing like big film shoots, commercials, yes. anything like that. So it's often, you know, young people shooting on their DSLRs and wanting to get something out there quickly. Yes. And what I often discovered is that they would be like, let me just slap a lot on the whole project. And not grade anything. Yeah. And that that was an interesting thing for me because, like, for me, LUTs were a huge part of like my starting point. Is I'd find LUTs that I liked, and then I'd try to recreate a look. Yeah. And it, it ended up like introducing me to grading and like in a way like furthering like my education in that. Whereas I've seen like the opposite with so many people is like um, like your average your average video producer where they're like, okay, I've got these LUTs. I don't need to learn. I'm just going to, regardless of what luminance values I'm working with, regardless of anything else, same LUT across everything, and then I'll just adjust the oh, That makes me of the cringe. Lut. Yeah. That, that really, really makes me cringe. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I totally, I totally see where, you know, you're coming from with that. Yeah. Um, because then what's the... You know, there's a reason why you pay yeah. what you pay for professional colorists to do. 100%. If you can just slap on a grade and export and render, yeah. then what's the point of uh -huh. this important process yeah. of this whole yeah. finishing, mm. you know? 100%. And, oh, no. Mm. I cringe. No, no, no. <laughs> if any of you do that, if any of you do that, that's a smack on your hand. Like, <laughs> absolutely no. <laughs> you heard it here, guys. <laughs> Don't slap a lot on it. <laughs> no, don't slap a lot on it. Use a lot and enhance it, and yeah, you can make things look so beautiful. Yeah, you know that's like your starting point. Mm. Yeah, it limits you actually. Yeah, if you have that mentality, it really does. And Absolutely. I yo, I remember back in the day, like when I would shoot a wedding film and just lot on the whole thing it it actually makes it more difficult when you go in and you yeah. try and tweak stuff afterwards it makes it a million times more difficult so absolutely yeah, yeah. learn how and when to use your yes. lats that's incredibly important yeah. and there's um and there's some incredible black packages that i've discovered yeah. it's just like, Ooh. Ooh. you just want to use them like all the time yeah <laughs> <laughs> i had this one the lot was called hipster was my absolute favorite. <laughs> it made somehow by some magic algorithm any <laughs> any footage shot at like a really high ISO at yeah. night look just ah oh, stunning. It, was, it looked amazing. 
So there, there is a place, guys, for Absolutely. Lads. We're getting on to a, a super interesting, super interesting question. And I, I referenced this earlier in the episode where I was talking about uh, a seminar on YouTube by a colorist called Robbie Carmen. Um, and when I was listening to this during this talk, he, he spoke a bit about the physiology of color, not the psychology, just the pure physiology, the biology of color. Um, and I was completely flawed when he said that women actually tend to be better at distinguishing between colors than men because they have more cones than rods in their eyes most of the time. Um, and I really, I thought he was making this up. I was like, this cannot be real. Um, until I actually found a bunch of studies done by a neuroscient, a behavioral neuroscientist, where he confirmed that this is 100% a thing. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> it's like so crazy. Um, quick biology recap for anyone who's not in high school. <laughs> um, cones are the cells in our eyes that are sensitive to color, while rods are sensitive to light. Um, but before I dive into this topic, I, I just want to quickly acknowledge that obviously just because a person is maybe physiologically inclined to do something, it doesn't like necessarily mean that they're going to like automatically gravitate to like turning their biological advantage into a career path. <laughs> but I think it makes an incredibly interesting preface to the fact that female identifying colorists at least from my perspective, seems to be this minority within a minority <laughs> in the filmmaking industry. So Fran, I'd love to get your thoughts on why there aren't more women colorists. Oh my word. <laughs> so this, this was a very interesting and a very tough question yeah. to, to answer because I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. I've, um, I haven't dove into the neuroscience yeah. of of you know females seeing more color yeah more color than, than males mm. because you know i mean and you know there are incredibly talented female colorists just yeah. as there are male colorists 100 percent. and um i think because color grading wasn't was a predominantly male mm. industry yeah uh, field mm. um and we're slowly starting to, to break, break in. To break in. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I, I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is just to break into this to yeah. this field. It's a, such a difficult topic to discuss. Yeah. Um, and I was even while I was writing that question, I was trying to think to myself like, what, what do I think it is? I mean, is this something because, at least from what I've seen, oftentimes like even even within like the broader sort of mm. filmmaking field it's not generally very common for the women to be involved in the super technical aspects of it yes and color grading is a very technical thing as is vfx as is animation maybe all of these other things um and i wondered is it that maybe is it just that maybe a lot of girls aren't drawn to like the technical stuff is it like a natural thing like that or is it just that uh it's not something we've been taught to want or to go for, like mm. from a young age, you know, maybe we've been encouraged to go into other career paths. Um, I don't know. It's it's so it's hard. It, it's very hard, yeah. and and you know, I mean, also not just in the film yeah. um, industry, 
But in the design section, as in mm. industrial design, when yeah. I first started, I mean, there were very, very few females yeah. in the class where mm. you know we would end up being four, five females in yeah. a class of twenty. Yeah. So, you know, we really, I mean, you know, back in historical era, sure. You know, we we really struggled to have mm. more of a voice, yeah. and and you know, we weren't allowed to do this, we weren't allowed to do that, mm. and and I think. And I think we are very privileged in modern society today yeah. where we have those um, very strong yes. female characters mm. in, in our industries that yeah. are, are paving the way for a lot more women yeah. to, to get involved. Mm. And I encourage it. I mean, yeah. let alone we need more colorists. Yeah, that's We so need true. more colorists. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many editing and, and mm. people going into sound and yeah but very few color grading and i and i picked mm. that up especially when you know you get interns yeah and when i see like females in the background i'm like please be a colorist yeah. please be a colorist <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we we other than that we, we strongly need more yeah. in this industry yeah i think there's also something to be said and just want to send a thanks out there into the universe for the amazing male colorists who've like Absolutely. taken it upon themselves. Wow. Um, like Donovan, uh, I worked for a bit under um, Reg at Post in yes. Woodstock. Um, cool. And the, the guy who worked under him was, I think Brett Rayner was his name as well. And I've been very privileged to, to work alongside all of them and have all of them like kind of come under me and mentor me as like a female in that industry. Absolutely. And thanks guys, you know. For, for promoting that. I think it's, yeah, it's yeah. very exciting. But yeah, girls, if you're interested, check out check out the color grading thing, guys. It's fun and there's, there's space yes. in the industry for us. Absolutely, get into it, get into it. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. You get, to, you get to fiddle with big panels and things are pretty and people go, ooh and ah, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> So, off the back of that, another <laughs> massive, massive question. <laughs> um, there are associations such as uh, Colorist Society International, um, which have long been advocating for the Academy Awards, Golden yes. Globes, BAFTAs, etc., uh, to include a category that recognizes the immense contribution colorists provide to the filmmaking process. And their argument is that if costume design and editing, makeup, hairstyling, production design, sound editing, mixing, and VFX all have their own categories, surely color grading deserves one too. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. There we go. <laughs> I've actually got my hands up, up in the air. Um, <laughs> choose your favorite form. Ooh, the favorite form. From I was trying to I was gonna think about it and then I realized I literally have a tattoo of it on my arm. It's it's called the right stuff. It's from 1983, uh, and it won it won like four Academy Awards. I think best editing being among them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I'll confess I haven't watched that movie. It's very obscure. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are like, what? What is that? And I'm like, no, I know. It's like a three-hour like film about astronauts. Not <laughs> very, very obscure stuff. Yes. But, but if you take any film. Yeah. Okay. Take away the sound. Yeah. What's the next thing that you start focusing on? Or how what it catches looks. your... How it looks. Yeah. And, and colour 
It is huge. Yeah. It's what makes that. It's what makes the film. What you know, together with yeah. edit and um, VFX and yeah. sound. When it works, when it's so seamless, mm. it works so beautifully. Yeah. Um, one of uh, a, a very nice example as well is the Shape of Water that actually oh, won the true. Academy yeah. Awards and, yeah. and the a Golden Globe as well by yeah. Guillermo del Toro. And if you look at that, mm. the great sets this tone Yo. of error. That's so true. And the style. And you mm. start picking up all these more greens and more mm. blue hues mm. and how you know it's so, it's so predominant. Yeah. And this high contrast and this mm. feeling. Yeah. And of course, mm. I, I, I absolutely, 100% yeah. am pro yeah. that, you know, color grading should be. Mm. It should be recognized. It should be recognized. Because absolutely. it's, like, I've heard some people make the argument, like, well, if it's done properly, no one should notice. And I'm like, to that I want to say, same with editing, same with production design, mm. same with VFX, it's the same with sound, all of that. These are are things that should not be noticed. They should just be so seamless and you're in that world because if it stands out, yeah, you know, then you're going to be taken out of it. So it, it actually, it, it doesn't matter. I think it's as vital a part of the post-production process. Absolutely. It's, it's right there. If it's off, it is so off. And there's so much latitude for like storytelling within that. You know, we contribute to that end product. And I think that, it, yeah, it does deserve to be recognized. Absolutely. And we, there's so much talent. There's yeah. so much talent around the world. I mean, mm. we have so much talent here in South Africa, in yeah, our own homeland. So and we have so much potential mm. to, to mm. get out there. And, um, yeah. No, I wonder what a difference it would make, actually, in terms of, like... <laughs> getting more like recognition in, in terms of the general public, just people knowing that colorists exist, that this is this is a part of what like makes yes. a film. You know, if we had our if we had our own category. Absolutely. It would be crazy. Maybe then we'd get more female colorists. <laughs> we would be watching the Oscars and be like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> we'll be walking out of our little dark suites and going, oh, there's light. <laughs> <laughs> Something I get a lot is I want to know what you you recommend to the average person who mm. says, you know, so like what film can I watch if I want to see a great example of color grading? There's and so many. Yeah. Um, phew. Okay. Yeah. So I'm also, <laughs> you, you, you weren't sad if you, if, if you know what I look like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm a huge Tarantino film. Oh, like fanatic. I like, wish I'd worn the t-shirt I was going to wear today. It's, no way. It's, it's a Pulp Fiction, Uma Thurman, like, t-shirt. No, that's so cool. I, I would have <laughs> taken it away from you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ever since I was young, um, yeah. you know, and, and my dad and I, we were huge Quentin Tarantino uh, <laughs> fans. Mm. And if you look at something like Kill Bill, mm. Okay, and you look yeah. at the flashbacks. I mean, yeah. that is something that is really obvious. That's really out there. How yeah. they create a flashback and a memory, mm. um, and of course, wardrobe yeah. plays such an integral part in, yeah. in the edit. Yeah. And um, that's when you can actually see, mm. you know, color and gray change. Or, mm. whew, there's another one that I had in mind. Yeah. Or, or another big favorite of mine was I'm going to mention too was the yes. Budapest Hotel, the Grand Budapest oh, Hotel. Yes. That color palette alone was incredible. Mm. You know, that's 
and, and it's all about I felt this emotion yeah. of these pink hues mm. and like like little blue and pastels. all these pastel yeah. colors. It's incredible. There you have it. It's mm. it's, it's right there. Mm. Um, and Birdman. Oh, when yeah. I watched Birdman, mm. um, when I, you know those long shots, and yeah. that's becoming the trend of people shooting these long mm. takes. Yeah, and it can proved to be very challenging especially yeah. if you've got one person going from one scene to the next scene oh. to the next scene and each scene's different to achieve that look as a colorist is that's um, very hard it's very hard um, and i remember sitting there watching going how did the colorist achieve this look yeah. next day googled keyframes i'm key assuming keyframes <laughs> power windows tracking yeah um, and there's so many ways that you can approach this yeah but it's a tough one because there's mm. so many films yeah and you know like i said pick mm. your favorite film yeah and when you actually watch it just for the pure fact of looking how you know watching the grade and how mm. the color looks and how it makes you feel yeah that's so true you know i think any film where you feel like you're watching it and there's like a strong feeling of intent the color is probably going to be spot on yeah yeah so guys th there we go that's that's my recommendation <laughs> and, and stranger things like oh. no spoiler alerts so for have those you who finished, haven't have I you finished, have finished i have finished yes. and i even cried at the end oh, of okay no spoilers but that was hard out, but yes <laughs> that was incredible and the yeah. grade on that alone it's just I'm going to say Beautiful. so funny. Okay, so I was <laughs> I was watching, we were watching it on my laptop. Obviously, the worst thing you can possibody do is watch something. <laughs> something so beautiful on a laptop, but it's what I had there. Um, and <laughs> we were, okay, um, I, I won't say where it is, but we were, we were in a scene and I was watching it and I'm like, yo, this grade is so red. Everything's red and orange. <gasps> Looking at it and being like, and then my husband goes and he like checks at the top like toolbar and he's like, Flux is on, like that uh, orange screen thing. And he's like, he's like, you're a colorist. Why did you not notice this? I'm like, I thought it was what they wanted to do with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the, the, I, all the seasons of Stranger Things. My favorite, favorite, mm. absolute favorite. It's it's magical. It really is. Oh, I, uh, man, I feel like now I, I am now like itching to rewatch it. I know, I know, absolutely. We need more <laughs> yes. series like that. Yes, absolutely. that are just just delightful, but also so scary and so gross sometimes. <laughs> we had a previous episode with uh, a skinographer by the name of Michelle Weston, um, which you guys can go and listen to. It's a wonderful episode and he's a very delightful person. But he was talking in this episode about he was uh, speaking about his his editing process when he's going and he's editing these like super high res images that he's scanned um and he would talk about how he'd kind of get like lost in this process and just be like immersed in it for like like say like eight hours i think was like the the number he mentioned in particular uh but he referred to it as a state of flow and I was very, very intrigued when I, I was reading a book, and I'm going to have to bleep this because the title is F*** It, Do What You Love. <laughs> I love that. Um, but in this book, uh, the author references a study by a psychologist where he discovered that people experience the most contentment and this, like, extreme feeling of joy long-lasting when they're engaging in an activity that puts them into a state of flow generally a creative related activity absolutely 
Yeah, and I'd I'd love to maybe kind of discuss this in in relation to color grading because I find that it's one of the very few things for me personally where I can just, I enter that and it's just this like beautiful creative space where I can just go. And obviously very important to take breaks, you know, let your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Look at white light. 100%. But at the same time, it's also like so satisfying for me to like go into a place where I can put on my headphones, I can have yes. my music and I can just, I could probably, <laughs> I think my <laughs> long, longest time, and this was on a personal project, I will say this, so it wasn't for a client or anything, but I, I graded once for about 10 hours straight, forgot to get up. Whoa, okay, <laughs> no, I haven't been that bad. <laughs> Not advisable, guys, don't recommend it, but I'd love to hear kind of what, from your perspective like it's like that sort of feeling yeah yeah um you know i love doing long-form work yes absolutely love it i mean with commercials a 30 second it will take me three hours to do and then done. that's quick i'm done (laughs) industry standard yeah Yeah. um you know preferably you shouldn't spend more than three minutes on a shot that's Uh, hectic yeah when i first started because to myself you know you also when, I don't know if you've experienced it as well yeah. but when you're working on a shot and mm. then you go actually mm. I don't know if I'm doing this right mm. or I prefer it like this or I prefer yeah. it like that yeah. and then you soon end up it's like 10 minutes over and you're yeah. still women and arming yeah over how a shot should look 100% and then you get up and you yeah. come back and you and you work on mm. that and um, so yeah. I always feel you know, in terms of getting, I mean, when I get into the zone, I get into the zone. Yeah. And I, I recently, um, you, you know, finished a, a long-form project where, yeah. again, you put on headphones mm. and, you know, you put on music that just calms you, that relaxes you, that makes yeah. you feel good, makes mm. you feel happy. Mm. Um, and, you know, you, you just, you're creating a beautiful image. You're creating yeah. a beautiful picture. This is yeah. what you do. And... When you actually get into the flow and you get into that mm. zone of actually this is coming out looking so yeah. beautiful, you you become positive about mm. it. I feel that, especially in our industry, mm. when we get into these long hours, weekends, yeah. it is so easy to burn out. 100%. So easy to burn out because you're so focused on getting this thing out there. Yeah. You, all your work, all your jobs. Um it's important to keep a, a healthy balance mm. of mental, physical, and emotional health. Yeah. Because, and, and also doing hobbies or doing something mm. that helps and promotes and yeah. grows your creative field as Definitely. a colorist. Um, I'm an absolute art nerd. I'm yeah. an absolute art and history nerd. So mm. I try to do a lot of that in my spare time, mm. um, whether it's painting or... yeah. You, you know doing something creative and, mm. and you draw that inspiration you go actually mm. that looks really awesome how can i apply that yeah into you know what i do color grading wise i, I strongly mm. strongly support that you know ideology of just being kind to yourself yeah and i also believe that whatever you focus and whatever yeah. you do and whatever you're engaging yeah that's what makes you you that's mm. what makes you what you do for a living if, yeah. if, if i if, I hope I'm explaining myself no, correctly. No, it makes complete sense to me. You know, um, like they say, you are what you eat. Yes. So, heck, I love oh cake. So, <laughs> you know what? It's so interesting that you bring that up. It's something that I I brought up in the first episode of this podcast about 
it's the same mentality. What you consume is what you output. It's 100% that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. it, that alone is important. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, um, and you have to incorporate that in everything that you do. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Um, and, and again, being positive and having mm. a very... It's so... And you, you, you do get those days where you're not motivated. Yeah. You feel uninspired. Yeah. You know, you're having a very down week. Mm. And it's in those times where I feel, you know, shake it. Yeah. Get out of that zone. Mm. Headphones on. Mm. Read articles. Listen to podcasts. Yeah. And especially in, in um, colorspodcast.com. Yeah. Um, I can't remember which, uh, who, who mentioned this, but they were actually having a talk about the mental health and well-being. Yeah. In our field. Mm. Well, we'll find that episode and we'll link it in the show notes, guys. I'll find you that link and I'm going to <laughs> send it to you. <laughs> I think I need to listen to that as well. Yeah. It sounds really, really important. Yeah. It's interesting that you uh, kind of gravitated to like art and stuff as a hobby to like support your profession. Um, I took up film photography recently mm. and it's actually, yeah, it's like coming in a, like a really fun way where we recently did a feature on um, a film photographer on Orms TV and I thought oh you know what it'd be fun to do is grade all the b-roll using like the same look that her film stock has you know yeah and it was like it was super fun it actually created this like very like cool engaging sort of thing is so, like in the world of like her film and like Absolutely, how it looks yeah. you know like literally seeing it like as she sees it on her camera it's like yeah, yeah. no it's super fun and, and I think you know when you work on or like if, if you guys shoot something different yeah. you know play around with that when you've got a free moment mm. Grab footage that you can play around yeah. and go out of the box with it. Yeah. Like, just go crazy. Mm. Crazy colors. Just push those panels, yeah. push those buttons. Um, and and you never know. That's where your inspiration comes up. Sometimes when you push it mm. and you go too far. Yes. And you think, oh, my word, I'm taking this too far. And you go out, you come back in again mm. and go, oh, maybe. 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 So many grades have happened like that. Yeah. Yeah, I worked on this one... Um, for poetry, I think, where I was like, these skin tones are so orange. And then I came back and I'm like, actually, kind of cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and, they, yeah. and they liked it. Yeah, for like it was like for autumn, fall leaves. I didn't even think of that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, I think we're moving on now to our, our final question. And this, yeah. is, this is one Rachel likes to ask every guest to kind of round everything up nicely. Which creative or creatives uh, mm. within or outside of your, your own industry inspires or helps feed your creativity and i know we've touched a little bit on like fellow industry professionals who you look up to um but anything else that you can think of this is from any field at all i'm a very i'm I'm a very family orientated person yeah i mean you can imagine half spanish half italian flemish you know (laughs) my family is my everything yeah and i have extremely strong characteristic Mm women in my family that I draw my inspiration from Mm. and this is probably going to maybe sound a little bit cheesy but (laughs) (laughs) um both of my grandmothers Mm. both Spanish and Italian um they are so fierce they Mm. are fiery they're Mm. fierce Mm. and growing up they've always taught me to whatever you do you do it fiercely yeah you do it with the greatest of passion Mm. and I've applied that growing up and with everything that I do and take risks yeah what are you afraid of mm. you know and um 
I think that's where I draw a lot of my inspiration. Yeah. You know, what am I, what am I afraid of? Mm. Take risks. Mm. Go beyond. Go out of the box. Just do crazy things. Yeah. And you could look like half a nutter. <laughs> you know, and, and like I mentioned before, art mm. is my everything. Yeah. Um, and I, I love referencing to classical mm. art mm. and, you know, postmodern art. Yeah. And everything in between. Yeah. From Picasso to Goya to Da Vinci yeah. to local artists. Mm. Um, there's something from everyone. There's basically, something yeah. from everyone and from everything. Mm. Mm. Um, that was actually quite a tough question. It's a very <laughs> difficult question. Like, I can't, off the top of my head, like, just yeah. pull like, out so many people. Yeah, and, 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 and I'd actually like to take this opportunity and, and mm. thank, you know, a lot of the producers yeah a lot of the creators a lot of the people that i've worked with mm. clients directors that i worked with along the way i've learned and picked up so much yeah um you know and and you you draw inspiration mm. from everyone mm. and it's been an, an incredible journey and an incredible experience yeah. and i am so excited <laughs> for what the future holds that's but such a nice note to end it on <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <laughs> just like thank wrapped you. it up nicely um fran thank you so much for thank coming much, in Jess. this has been yeah just like a wonderful wonderful opportunity for me to to talk to someone in my field and to to hear what you have to say about these topics it's been really great so thank you thank you so much for having me in your podcast i mean it's a great honor and i think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic <laughs> no it's and good to hear i wish you all the very best oh thank great you great success yay <laughs> uh now this is the part of the podcast uh where rachel usually thanks me for doing all the podcast producer things that I do but this time because Rachel is not here I would like to take the chance to thank Rachel for trusting me to host this episode of Orms Air uh, and to let her know that we all really appreciate the hard work and love that she pours into putting out an awesome episode of the podcast every week so thanks Rach you are a superstar yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so now uh note to future editor Jess you can roll the outro Cheers, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Orms Air, the Orms podcast. I hope you've enjoyed being a part of the conversation as much as we've enjoyed having you. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for us, please get in touch by emailing ormsair at orms.co.za. Head on over to ormsair.buzzsprout.com and take a peek at this week's show notes for more information on any works referenced or topics discussed in this week's episode. If you've enjoyed this episode of Orms Air and feel that someone you know could be creatively enriched by joining us in conversation, why not share this episode with them and invite them to join our photographic community? Until next week, keep questioning, keep inspiring, and above all, keep creating.